J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 78 Parable of the Rich Fool Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21 And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The passage we have now read affords a singular instance of man's readiness to bring the things of this world into the midst of his religion. We are told that a certain hearer of our Lord asked him to assist him about his temporal affairs. Master, he said, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He probably had some vague idea that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom in this world and to reign upon earth. He resolves to make an early application about his own financial matters. He entreats our Lord's arbitration about his earthly inheritance. Other of Christ's hearers might be thinking of a portion of the world to come. But this man was one whose chief thoughts evidently ran upon this present life. How many hearers of the gospel are just like this man? How many are incessantly planning and scheming about the things of time, even under the very sound of the things of eternity? The natural heart of man is always the same. Even the preaching of Christ did not arrest the attention of all his hearers. The minister of Christ in this present day must never be surprised to see worldliness and inattention in the midst of his congregation. The servant must not expect his sermons to be more valued than his master's. Let us mark in these verses the solemn warning which our Lord pronounces against covetousness. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. It would be vain to dogmatically decide which is the most common sin in the world. It would be safe to say that there is none at any rate to which the heart is more prone than covetousness. It was this sin which helped to cast down the angels who fell. They were not content with their first estate. They coveted something better. It was this sin which helped to drive Adam and Eve out of paradise and bring death and damnation into the world. Our first parents were not satisfied with the things which God gave them in Eden. They coveted, and so they fell. Covetousness is a sin which, ever since the fall, has been the productive cause of misery and unhappiness upon earth. Wars, 
quarrels, strifes, divisions, envyings, disputes, jealousies, hatreds of all sorts, both public and private, may nearly all be traced up to this fountainhead of covetousness. Let the warning which our Lord pronounces sink down into our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. Let us strive to learn the lesson which Paul had mastered when he says, I have learned to be content in whatever state I am. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Let us pray for a thorough confidence in God's superintending providence over all our worldly affairs and God's perfect wisdom in all his arrangements concerning us. If we have little, then let us be sure that it would not be good for us to have much. If the things that we have are taken away from us, then let us be satisfied that there is a needs be for this. Happy is the man who is persuaded that whatever is, is best. He has ceased from vain wishing and has become content with such things as he has. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let us mark, secondly, in these verses, what a withering exposure our Lord makes of the folly of worldly-mindedness. He draws the picture of a rich man of the world whose mind is wholly set on earthly things. He paints him scheming and planning about his property, as if he were the master of his own life, and had but to say, I will do a thing, and it would be done. And then he turns the picture and shows us God requiring the worldling's soul, and asking the heart-searching question, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Folly, he bids us to learn, nothing less than folly is the right word by which to describe the conduct of the man who thinks of nothing but his money the man who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God, is the man whom God declares to be a fool. It is a solemn thought that the character which Jesus brings before us in this parable is far from being uncommon. Thousands in every age of the world have lived continually doing the very things which are here condemned. Thousands are doing them at this very day. They are laying up treasure upon earth and thinking of nothing but how to increase it. They are continually adding to their hoards as if they were to enjoy them forever and as if there was no death, no judgment, no world to come. And yet these are the men who are called clever and prudent and wise. These are the men who are commended and flattered and held up to admiration. Truly the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord declares that rich men who live only for this world are utter fools. Let us pray for rich men. Their souls are in great danger. Heaven, said a great man on his deathbed, is a place to which few kings and rich men come. Even when converted, the rich carry a great weight and run the race to heaven under great disadvantages. The possession of money has a most hardening effect upon the conscience. We may never know what we may do if we were to become rich. The love of money is the root of all evil. While some have coveted after it, they have erred from the faith 
and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Poverty has many disadvantages, but riches destroy far more souls than poverty. Let us mark, lastly, in these verses, how important it is to be rich towards God. This is true wisdom. This is true providing for time to come. This is genuine prudence. The wise man is he who does not think only of fleeting earthly treasure, but of eternal treasure in heaven. When can it be said of a man that he is rich towards God? Never until he is rich in grace and rich in faith and rich in good works. Never until he has applied to Jesus Christ and bought from him gold tried in the fire. Revelation chapter 3 verse 18. Never until he has a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Never until his name is inscribed in the book of life and is an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Such a man is truly rich. His treasure is incorruptible. His bank never breaks. His inheritance never fades away. Man cannot deprive him of it. Death cannot snatch it out of his hands. All things are his already. Life, death, things present and things to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 22. And best of all, what he has now is nothing compared to what he will have hereafter. Riches like these are within the reach of every sinner who will come to Christ and receive them. May we never rest until they are ours. To obtain them may cost us something in this world. It may bring on us persecution, ridicule, and scorn. But let the thought console us that the judge of all says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. The true Christian is the only man who is really wealthy and wise.